Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan. And today, we're going to be talking about battleships. I was playing Battleship with Nixon the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's we got game. a battleship. And he was like, oh, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you. I destroyed him. Did you put all your battleships next to each other? No, I didn't. That's a good strategy. It is a good strategy. I mean, he is seven. But <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so today we're going to talk about battleships. We're going to talk about some of uh, uh, historical. We're going to go back uh, pretty far, and then we'll get maybe into some more modern uh, stuff. We're going to talk about some uh, battleships that are maybe still out there today. We're going to be talking about some battleships that were the biggest that have ever existed. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and dive in. Spartans! What is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world! A decent world! All right, so one of the one of the cool battleships that I was researching, and I think is one of the coolest one of a, just a real cool story, is about the USS Constitution, and this ship uh, is super old. It's actually one of the oldest. It's the world's the world's oldest ship of any type still afloat, and it sits in the Boston Harbor to this day. Pretty cool, right? really. Yeah. So it's known as Old Ironsides, and I'll explain why. And it was commissioned as part of the Naval Act of 1794 by President George Washington. So it was launched in 1797 under President John Adams. Uh, The ship was one of six frigates designed to be the new country. So, I mean, we we had just barely got our independence. Capital ships. uh, And they were heavily armored with 44 guns. So there were... uh, there were there were six of them, so the construction is actually kind of interesting. The designer Joshua Humphreys designed the ships in an unusual way compared to how other frigates at the time were built. He built the um, the ship very long and narrow, and, and it was actually very deep as well. Uh, they had they were very heavily armored, and they had the guns mounted uh, obviously on each side, and the beams, the cross beams, he used. He laid them in diagonally, uh, which reduced the bending uh, to make the ship even more sturdy. Uh, it was interesting. I, I also think that, well, I also read that uh, the ship was made of pine and oak. And the oak that was used is from is hard southern oak from uh, the live oak trees that are actually out of Georgia. So they pulled live oak. If you've ever been to see pictures of Charleston or Savannah, you see those live oaks with the uh, that gray moss Spanish moss hanging off of it Uh, those are old man's beard yeah those are very strong trees and they were um, uh, basically where those trees that was that was pulled for the ship they were uh, cut I guess you could say uh, out of uh, an island off the coast of of Georgia Uh, so uh, pretty cool Uh, especially since you know we're from the south and we love love that history Uh, so they were uh, and I actually think that there was also like, like a copper at one point, there might have been like a copper 
uh, sheath around the outside of the, the boat as well. So it's built in a very unique way. It's very, very tall uh, and uh, long as well. And so uh, the ship kind of went right out of the gate. Um, one of the interesting stories that I was reading is that when uh, it was sent to patrol from Boston, New Jersey, all the way down to Savannah. And it was patrolling. This was like the first patrol it was on. And they caught um, some... They were supposed to be looking for against Frenchmen or something like that. And they caught a, a merchant ship. And they were like, oh, we're going to capture you guys. And they captured the boat. And they took the boat back to... I think it was Boston Harbor, and uh, they had the the merchants in jail, and it turned out that the merchants were actually legitimately telling the truth, and they weren't. Some of them were French, but they weren't part of the French army. Yeah, and so the U.S. government ended up like, you know, setting them free. Like they gave them, they paid them out eleven thousand dollars as like restitution. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> so it's like, we, oopsie. <laughs> we might have been a little ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, the, the the ship. Um, really got its big name uh, from the War of 1812, which was with uh, the United, the British. Uh, she, she, the ship, captured numerous merchant ships and defeated five British warships. The nickname Old Sirens, Ironsides and public adoration saved the ship from the scrapyard. So uh, before I get into some of the... St- some of the stories. Well, actually, I'll get into some of the stories about it first, and then I'll tell you what so happened. So why did they call it Ironsides? No, I'll tell you. Okay. So I mean I know why they called Ironsides. I'm just for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the stories that was interesting is there was a captain of the ship John Rogers, uh, and this is just kind of a, a cool story that um, of bravery. I thought uh, was off the coast of New Jersey when he was on the sh- he was captaining the ship, and when he spotted uh, five British ships, and he had to, and he was like, "Oh no, I've got to outrun these guys," and so uh, he because he knew that he couldn't handle all of them. So he ordered the crew to put out the lifeboats uh, onto the side of the ship, and then he basically started towing uh, the the USS Constitution uh, to, to try to outrun these British ships. So he had the guys paddling in these lifeboats, uh, and they wet the sails so that they could, quote, catch every breath of wind. Uh, so they had the sails full mast. Uh, they had these boats that were like literally these guys are paddling. And then the British were like, oh, we got to do that. They, so they, the British mirrored them and they were doing the same things. And uh, they, they actually, the, those on the USS Constitution, they dumped out 2,300 gallons of drinking water so they could go faster. And uh, there was a little bit of cannon fire, but basically they were, they were just so far out of range. And the chase lasted 57 hours. In the July heat. Oh, geez. Can you imagine paddling a, 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 in a lifeboat for 57 hours because you knew that if you didn't run these guys, you're basically going to die? Uh, anyway, they eventually made enough distance from them that the British gave up uh, in that, that chase. So that was uh, that was kind of a cool uh, instance of when they were able to escape, uh, you know, being being captured or killed, uh, and that he didn't give up doing that. Uh, the one of the another story that was really cool is that this was a little bit before that uh, the ship departed from Boston uh, on the 14th of August and encountered another ship in the darkness on the, the 6th of September near the Rock of Gibraltar and the Constitution went to uh, went to general quarters and ran alongside the unknown ship and so Preble who was the captain of the ship hailed her only to receive a hail in re- return. He identified his ship as the U.S. United States Frigate Constitution, 
but received an evasive answer from the other ship. Preble replied, I am now going to hail you for the last time. If a proper answer is not returned, I will fire a shot into you. The stranger returned from the unknown ship. If you give me a shot, I'll give you a broadside. Preble demanded the other ship identify herself, and the stranger replied, This is his Britannic Majesty's ship, Donegal, 84 guns, Sir Richard Stranchin, an English Commodore. He then commanded Preble, Send your boat on board. So kind of give up or, or, or come over or surrender, basically. Preble was now devoid of all patience and exclaimed, This is the U.S. ship Constitution, 44 guns, Edward Preble, an American Commodore, who will be damned before he sends his boat on board any vessel. Then he, then to, then he said to his crew, uh, his gun crews, blow your matches, boys. So get your, your matches for your cannons like red hot. So yeah. get ready to fire, you know. And uh, so he was ready to go, man, against this giant like British 84-gun ship, right? Well, turns out uh, there was a misunderstanding, and the second lieutenant of that other ship, Came and was like, whoa, 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 whoa! There were were not actually uh, that big British ship. We're actually just like a small twenty-four gun outfit, and uh, we're actually not interested in like fighting. And so it was, it was kind of a misunderstanding. But Preble didn't know that, uh, and but his men were like, this guy's got some serious cojones <laughs> on him because he was thinking he was going up against a ship that was twice his size, <laughs> twice the amount of guns. So I do have a question though. So in in the 1700s, how do you hail from one ship to well, another? Do you just I like stand on the side and like yell back and forth? I think so. I think they were really close. So he they pulled up beside, and I was like, well, how did they do that? I was like, they couldn't have done Morse code. I don't even think that was even invented yet. So you, I, do you think you would see how many guns he had, though? You would think, yeah, or he could just tell, but um, or he could tell, but it was he said it was dark. And, uh, maybe that's uh, he true. Pulled up, I mean, he slipped up behind the ship, right by by the ship. And he said, hey, you know. I think I think they were yelling back and forth. I mean, obviously you can't. Hey, yo, what are you doing? Yeah. Morse code. Um, so I don't think they had Morse code in the no, 1700s. I think, was, I think that was invented in like World the, War or two. Or yeah, I was like gonna that. say like the early 1900s, maybe. So Preble won the respect of his crew by showing that he was willing to defy a presumed ship of the line. That's what it's called. A ship of the line was basically a, a, a prevailing warship that would be on the front line of battle. Uh, that so I mean, like that's a big boy. Blow, I, blow your matches, boys! Yeah, let's get let's get going. And so they called them they called themselves Preble's boys uh, because they were proud to be uh, under his tutelage and under his uh, captain's captainship. Is so, that kind of like the Proud Boys? Mm, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> but they were proud to be Preble's boys. Oh, okay. Um, and some uh, some of the other adventures, uh, he the ship was served as a flagship in the Mediterranean and African squadrons. Uh, there was a battle in Tripoli where one of the, the six sister ships uh, was fighting with uh, some of, some uh, of the British and French um, warships in Tripoli, and then one of because of the way that they were engineered, one of them ran aground, uh, and then the men, you know, basically burnt the thing to the ground because they didn't want the enemies to get it. And it's interesting when you look at sh- talk about ship warfare, especially you know during times of war. You didn't want that ship falling into the enemy hands because that's a powerful weapon. Yeah. So they would oftentimes just burn it or scuttle the ship, uh, and uh, so that was kind of cool. Uh, and then the, the USS Constitution went to save them. Uh, the actually the ship actually circled the world in 1840s. Wow. 
it went all the way around the world uh, from Brazil all the way uh, over to uh, Africa, India, Japan, and then it went from uh, all the way up the coast of China, Japan, and then went down to Honolulu, and then went over to uh, Mexico. And that's a 50-year-old ship. Yeah. That's in the 1840s. During the Civil War, she was used by the Naval Academy as for practice and whatnot. So after the active duty, she was retired from active duty in 1881 and served as a receiving ship until it was uh, turned into a museum in 1907. So in late 1800s, I mentioned earlier that they were going to think about scuttling the ship. So there was a rumor that they were going to scuttle the ship. And so in the newspaper, there was a guy that wrote a famous poem about Old Ironsides. Oh, I never said why it was called Old, old Ironsides. It was called Old Ironsides because literally uh, there was uh, in the one of the battles uh, – the cannon fire would hit the side of it, and because the wood was so strong, the cannons literally bounced off. Yeah, the cannonballs would bounce and, off. And uh, one of the famous things was that the, one of the American guys looked over the edge and he saw the cannons bounce off. He said, "Huzzah! It's we've got Ironsides. You know, she's Ironsides." And so that's where they got a kind of name from. And then when they were gonna, the rumor was that they were gonna scuttle it. They were gonna decommission the ship and, and scrap the ship. Uh, kind of in the late 1800s. There was someone wrote a poem about old Ironsides and the historic nature of it, and so they're like, "Oh no, we're not actually going to do it." And then it became a museum. Uh, so it's c- kind of cool. It still it floats today. In 1997, uh, she sailed under her own power. Also in 2012, to commemorate the 200th anniversary of her victory over Guerre, which was a ship that uh, she got in a battle with. So that's the- crazy. In in 2000. 2000- 12. I mean that this this ship was commissioned in 17 was it 79? Yeah, or 17 uh yeah, 17 70 1797. So let's just say 1800. So that ship is uh 212 years old. Yeah. That's old and it's still sailed? Yeah. You think it'd be all rotten and Well, I'm sure that they spend millions of dollars to restore it and stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, that's probably true. But they said that none of the original cannons and stuff on there are from the original. It's mostly just like recasts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and what's the battle with Guerre, uh, there was a famous battle where the ships were coming at each other and they were broadsiding each other. And at one point, the ships got tangled up in each other. They got connected. And um, the uh, Guerre, they're... they're um, it was like uh, I think it was a French ship. Uh, the rudder was messed up, and they were tangled up in each other. But the USS Constitution, he like they just double loaded all the cannons on one side and just kept absolutely blasting the crap out of this ship, just blasting it and blasting it and blasting it. And uh, I thought it was interesting. They double loaded the cannons. And yeah, I've then, never heard that before. And uh, then the ship just tore to pieces. The masts all fell over, and then it just sunk into the into the ocean, and it, it dislodged from the USS Constitution. And they were like boss status we're out you know so i thought that was kind of a cool can you imagine being stuck and then like a ship is stuck on you you can't get away and they just keep absolutely blasting you with cannon fire like from mere yeah. feet away you know i envision two people that are like attached at the head and they're just like punching each other <laughs> yeah. it's, like, just, it's like those deer who get their antlers caught together you know yeah they're just like imagine getting uh, your antlers caught together with another deer but that deer has like a a, a, a pistol a uzi and he's just yeah. lighting you up you know so, anyway, that's the story of the USS Constitution. Uh, so, you can tell your friends at work, hey, do you know what the oldest ship, the world's oldest ship still afloat today is? The USS Constitution. Old Ironsides herself. That's right. That's cool. That's a cool story. Um, 
All right. So the the first one I'm going to talk about today is the the Japanese battleship Yamato, and this ship was pretty cool. So this ship was uh, commissioned in uh, the 16th of December, 1941, by the Japanese government. Um, so this is it was commissioned. What? Uh, Wait, by commissioned? Even that's when it was like set out, or it was just when it was like start building it. Well, that's when they started. Whenever they started building, yeah, they started construction. I mean, and the construction went really fast. And and it might that might have been whenever it was. Launched? Really, whenever it was launched, um, but was it part of the Pearl Harbor Armada? It was not part of the Pearl Harbor Armada because that was December seventh, nineteen forty-one, and this is December sixteenth, nineteen forty-one. Oh, and so it, this ship was a battleship, and so it was a gunned battleship, and it was the world's largest battleship at the time, and it had the largest guns. Um, of any battleship. Uh, it was 862 feet long. And uh, from the time of the construction, the Yamato carried actually... At 862 feet, That the Bismarck was 823 feet. Oh, so this one was a little bit bigger than the yeah. Bismarck. Okay. So, and these are both World War II. Right. Bismarck was the biggest in the European theater. Yeah. Was that World War II as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Jerry's going to talk about the Bismarck after this. It's a German ship. Um, and so uh, the Japanese, they they constructed this ship in the, the Yamato, the name of the ship. It carried some pretty heavy significance with Japanese culture. Uh, the battleship really kind of represented the whole epitome of of imperial Japanese naval engineering and the strength of the Japanese. You know, they had just attacked Pearl Harbor and they just had, they had just awoken the sleeping giant, right? And so they came out with this massive ship. United States is a sleeping giant. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they built this massive ship that had, it had the largest guns of any other ship out there. And uh, because of its size, its speed and power, um, it visibly embodied Japanese determination and it's uh, their their defense against the interest of the Western powers, which was the United States. Um, and the emperor himself, the Japanese emperor, actually uh, he christened it himself and he blessed it whenever the ship came out. Mm. So uh, the Yamato it was very... Uh, symbolic and to the Japanese citizens they held it was so symbolic to them and they made such a big deal of it in Japan that they held the belief that their country could never fall as long as the ship was still able to fight that puts a big target on that ship's back (laughs) (laughs) um so that's um, like if we say as if the Statue of Liberty ever falls America will fall what do you think is gonna be the number one target for any that's the things that get nuked the next day, man. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So it was kind of the pride and joy, right? But the thing was is that although the, the, this ship, the Yamada, was a very strong vessel, um, World War II, even World War II was so much different than even just World War One. World War II was really, it was, a, it was a, a war that was dominated by in the skies, Right, the 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 airplane technology ha- was had come so far 
that it was just the the advancements. It was hard for some of these uh, these ships, these battleships, and anything, even just to keep up with um, the advancing technology of aircrafts um, and actually being able to tilt their guns up high enough to shoot at the 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 aircrafts in the sky. And so that was really where um, its capabilities saw uh, a really uh, a valuable kind of, I guess, failure in, in its its abilities. It had these massive guns, but uh, it really struggled with, uh, with fighting uh, oncoming opposing forces from the air. So um, in... April seventh, nineteen forty-five. There, uh, the the United States were they had like fifteen hundred uh, battleships and aircraft carriers and other ships and frigates and all this sort of kind of stuff that that they that they had in the Pacific Theater, and that were basically they were on a trek to Okinawa, right? To invade, kind of Japan was what Japan thought was going to happen, and so. Japan kind of, they had this culture at this time that they had developed with kamikaze fighters and, and, and uh, kamikaze planes that they would just suicide bomb into uh, different ships. And so under the command of the emperor in 1945 on April 7th, um, he uh, commanded that the Yamada actually deploy on what really they called they called it a surface special attack force assignment. Uh, basically, it was a suicide mission to go head first at the United States Armada. No way. And there was other ships. You know, there was uh, they had some aircraft carriers and they had some other types of ships. But this one kind of the the Yamada kind of went full bore, full steam ahead, like well, just in their prize jewel out in the middle of to be overrun like that. Yeah, so that's uh something that uh the Emperor writes about a little bit later. So um it's basically a suicide mission to drive back the US forces that uh or were wanting to land in in Okinawa. Um and uh let's say it didn't go too well. <laughs> Right, so the 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 ship was engaged in um, fighting, and it let's see, it was sunk by the American planes during uh, this operation, which they called it Operation Tengo, on April seventh, nineteen forty-five. Um, of the crew, which was three thousand three hundred and thirty-two people. Only 276 people survived. So, over 400 planes from six U.S. aircraft carriers attacked the ship. Uh, both fighter planes and dive bomber planes is what the United States had in that time. And the Yamato was hit by at least 11 torpedoes, six bombs from the dive bomb planes. Um, and there could have been actually two or three more. Uh, torpedo or bomb hits that were not confirmed. So the ship uh, basically caught on fire, and then what happened is the fire got into their uh, weapons storage and just blew the thing to smithereens. Hmm. And it blew it in half, basically. And so it 
sank to the bottom of the ocean, um, about 50 miles off of the uh, southwest portion of Japan. Um, pretty close to home. Yeah, and so not so too, did, not how too many, far. Did it kill? Did it sink any ships? Um, I don't know. It didn't say if it had actually had it, had, sank had any it, ships because I don't think it got close enough to. Um, actually, I did read a thing that it though it was the largest ship, it was actually had not received any like because sometimes ships will reserve like will will receive like accommodations, accommodations or medals or whatever else. Yeah. And this ship had not received any medals. Didn't but didn't basically see any action until they just sent it right to the heart of the storm. Yeah. So, um, so uh, experts believe that a fire raging in the battleship's aft secondary magazine, which is kind of where they kept a lot of the weapons, uh, caused a ton of ammunition to ignite almost simultaneously and blasted the ship in half and sank. So it sank to the bottom of the ocean at that point. 1,200 feet deep. That's not really deep. Yeah, that's deep. So, um, based on his... So, what happened? Right? Based on his personal records, so they took the... They found the journal of the Japanese emperor at that time. Um, based on his personal records, the emperor regretted uh, sending the ship in a reckless tactical move, is is quoted from his uh, from thing. So, so this huh. is a quote. He says... Uh, in his journal, this is the emperor who sent the battleship, the Yamato, yeah. into battle. He said, the fact that the much-valued Yamato was deployed on that occasion without contact with aircraft made it a failure. And it was an inconsistent strategy and a ridiculous battle. So he's just kind of like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. Probably should have waited for... Backup, right? Yeah. Instead of just sending. I mean, I don't know if they say we're just so confident. Four hundred planes coming around to battle yeah. that thing, dude. That's massive. Yeah. So, uh, well, really, it's kind of a testament to the outdatedness of the those types of battleships. Yeah. When those battleships really are only that are only really good for providing land coverage, like smash, like we our battleships we had over there. They're like pound that ridge. Okay, well, we're gonna pound the ridge for an hour. And then go move in. And that was really like that artillery was basically the uses of those. But when you're in open sea, you're out, outranged by those planes. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because I, I was reading this thing on the on the Yamada. And one thing that this article said is that the tactics that led to the loss of the Yamato were really emblematic. So they were a, a representation of the, the, the irresponsibility of the strategies that Japan had going into number one, a war knowing that they could not win and continuing to fight even when defeat is inevitable. They knew they they knew they weren't going to be able to beat the United States. Yeah. I mean, it was like, but that was the kind of the same tactic of, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to awaken the sleeping giant, right? Or I'm going to send this one ship out against all of these other ships. And it was almost like this, this, I guess, false sense of confidence or, or whatever else that, uh, I mean, really was the demise of uh, this ship. Yeah. Right. And I guess a lot of the other stuff that happened. So, well, I, I mean, you kind of see some of that, like tactically with how the Russians are invading Ukraine right now. 
Yeah. Like they ha- they're making all these. Well, from what I can see on on the news, which you know, half the time I don't even know if it's just propaganda from our side, you know, because you can't hardly believe what you see. You know, half is other. Some of the videos they're showing are from like Lebanon and stuff like that. You're yeah. Like, what the heck? But some of the stuff that I have seen, it's like there's this giant caravan and there's like set six, like 30 miles of just trucks lined up on the road. I'm like, dude, all you need is like one or two warthogs in there and just just yeah. absolutely run down that entire caravan. I personally feel like, I mean, Russia is a very large and a very powerful country. And this this little town of this little country of Ukraine is just defending itself against this, you know, oncoming. I, I just feel like Russia is kind of just playing. I don't know what they're doing. Or the I mean, rest of their forces. I don't know. Yeah, they're sending they're sending over they're sending over guys that like literally. I saw a picture, and I mean, I'm pretty sure this is legitimate, but they had like one of the Russian soldiers had a freaking bolt action Mosin Nagant. <laughs> Like that's a rifle that they used in World War One. <laughs> like that was the that was the issued rifle that he had. It's like, dude, what do you do? Like this is a grandfather's weapon. Yeah. You like you'd think that Russia would just be like, if they really wanted to take Ukraine, they would just freaking do it. Well, I don't know. I, it almost yeah. seems like they're just playing. He's sending like he he's sending in like the, the tenth string players right now just to go in there and just wreak some havoc. Yeah, right? it's these can't these can't be his first string. This can't be the A line. Yeah, well, I, I I would think so. I mean, like I've seen several videos of just like I saw one video of a whole line of soldiers, Russian soldiers, just walking in the middle of the street, and getting fired upon by Ukrainians, and they just keep walking in the middle of the street, no yeah. cover, nothing. They're just guys falling left and right. I'm like, yeah. what is happening? Well, and it's hard to distinguish what's propaganda and what's not. But supposedly, yeah. there's a lot of Russian soldiers too that. Are like, well, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. You know, yeah. we don't want to do this. They're like purposefully sabotaging their vehicles so that they don't, you know, so that they clog up the the thirty mile caravan or, or well, it's like remember we talked about Stalingrad, right? Not one step back was what Stalin said. Yeah, and then well, it's different when you're defending the the, the motherland versus like invading. Yeah, country. I don't know. We were gonna do an episode on that itself, but there's so much context with Ukraine. It's an unbelievable amount of context you have to understand. <laughs> like, and I don't even understand it at all. There's a good documentary we I sent Ethan and I watched. It's called Ukraine on Fire. Very interesting about the, the history of Ukraine and some of what's going on there. Interesting. So to, to round this up, uh, the Yamada sank in the the that fierce battle of battle for Okinawa is what they called it, April seventh, nineteen forty five. Uh, in nineteen in the nineteen eighties. Shipwreck hunters actually found the Yamato because they hadn't really. I mean, it, it sank and they just were kind of like, well, okay, it sank. But they actually found it. Uh, they found it 180 miles off the coast and um, it was split in two and it was 1,120 feet deep. And it was had, wow. was had split in two and it was resting on the bottom of the, on the bottom of the ocean. Wow. That's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Well, let me tell you about the Bismarck. So, if those who have not heard the the song that uh, "Sink the Bismarck" by Johnny Horton, uh, look it up. I, I was trying to think about if we that's, could a, post that's a song of our childhood, I man. I know, man. I was thinking about putting it on uh, the the podcast, but I think due to some like copyright issues. But I'll put it on Instagram. <laughs> the year was nineteen forty one. The war the had just begun. begun. <laughs> the Germans had the biggest ship. They had the biggest guns. Yeah. Good song. You should listen to it. Um, yeah, so uh, the Bismarck 
was the fastest ship that ever sailed the sea. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that's how the song goes. But the Bismarck was designed in the mid 1930s, and it finally set sail in the 1940s, uh, in 1940. So the boat was built heavy. So actually, it's funny during that time there was some kind of like international treaty about the size of warships that you could build and the amount of tonnage displacement. So the way that I'm not a, a, a naval engineer, but from what I was able to uh, evaluate, is that ships are measured in the amount of water displacement uh, that they create. And so there were rules at the time about a, ships can only displace so much water, which means they can only be so heavy. Uh, but obviously, the Germans went beyond that, and then obviously that treaty totally dissolved. So uh, the, the Bismarck displaced 41 1,700 tons when empty and 50,300 tons when fully loaded. It was 823 feet long, which is about, what, 40 feet less than the... Uh, the Yamato. The Yamato. And it was bigger than any European ship at the time. Uh, the top speed was, was 34 miles an hour, and it had a range of 8,870 nautical miles when traveling 22 miles an hour. Uh, the battleship... So the there was really only one... Uh, battle that it got in and that was in the battle of uh, Denmark uh, the morning of the May 24th the Bismarck crewman spotted some smoke on the horizon well let me back up for just a second Hitler himself came aboard the Bismarck and said okay I want you to go disrupt the supply lines to the United Kingdom uh, and sink some uh, merchant ships and so that was the first attack commission given first and only attack commission given to the Bismarck. So they went over there to do this, and that is... So that they engaged in some small scuffles, uh, and then this is kind of really where they actually started engaging with military. Uh, and it was in that same year. So they spotted something on the horizon, and it was two ships from the UK. One was called the Hood, and one was called Prince of Wales. So only 10 minutes after the Bismarck started... Uh, they saw that ship's smoke, uh, they started taking fire from the two ships. Now, it wasn't just the Bismarck. The Bismarck had an, uh, it was an armada of ships. They had some other support ships as well. But the admiral for the armada uh, ordered his men to be at their battle stations but did not immediately fire back. Uh, the first gunnery asked permission to fire back twice, two different times. I mean, they're being shot at. And the admiral hesitated. And the captain intervened while muttering, I will not let my ship be shot out from under my ass. And he demanded permission to fire. And the admiral relented. And it was like four minutes later that they actually started firing back at the hood and the Prince of Wales. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little story. The captain's like, fire now. <laughs> and uh, the admiral's like, all right, just do it. Uh, so the destruction of the hood. So what happened is that the... The hood was actually destroyed by the Bismarck, and that destruction relentlessly spurred a relentless pursuit by the Royal Navy involving dozens of warships. Trying to find the Bismarck. Trying to find the Bismarck. Got to find the Bismarck uh, and sink her, right? That was the battle cry. And so the Bismarck was headed back to port in France, which was occupied France at the time, and the damages to repair damages and refuel. Uh, So two days after that, the British Royal Navy sent out tons of ships. Uh, so they had uh, sent out, let's see, 16, uh, let's see, they had sent out 
I think it was. I'm trying to remember how many it was. I mean, it was it was a, a bunch of ships. Um, the ship was uh, attacked by 16 torpedo bombers from aircraft carrier, and the rudder was badly damaged, uh, and the Bismarck basically it couldn't steer, and it was just just going forward, and then they started getting hit by more. Uh, <clears throat> it engaged with two other battleships, and the next morning, <coughs> excuse me, the next morning. They had sustained uh, pretty heavy losses, but the, the ship was still upright, but they could tell that they were probably going to lose the ship. So what happened, and this is kind of a point of, uh, uh, you could say, controversy, is that the Germans actually scuttled the ship. They told everybody, at the time there was a crew of 2,200 men on the board, told everybody, come up from below, scuttle the ship. So they placed scuttle charges on, along the bottom of the ship, opened up, opened up all the hatches, uh, and then detonated the charges to sink the ship. Sink it themselves. Because they didn't want it to fall into the hands of the ger- of the British. And so all those men, in fact, it said some men were like literally running up the stairs uh, to, and climbing ladders as they could hear the charges going doom, 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 in underneath the ship. That'd be kind of crazy. And so obviously they had sustained heavy casualties. They wanted to scuttle the ship partially because it, so it wouldn't fall into their hands, but also because they wanted to minimize the amount of casualties, which actually in the end they didn't do. They didn't do that good of a job of doing that anyway. Uh, so a bunch of the men just got off and and uh, jumped overboard. Uh, they said there was about a four hundred men that actually were able to get into the water. Uh, some survivors reported saying that Captain uh, Lindenman, the guy who said, "I'm not going to get this ship shot out from under me." Uh, was standing at attention at the stern of the ship as it sank. And uh, only 114 survived. Out of 2,000? Out of 2,200 men, 400 they got in the water, only 114 actually survived. And some of them were rescued by uh, Britain, Great Britain, but others, uh, but then the British thought they saw a U-boat coming, and there was a U-boat coming. A U-boat came and rescued like four or five guys. Um, Interesting, but that was it. and then one guy was picked up by a. Well, they just like pop up and like <coughs> open the hatch, and get in. Yeah, I mean, I guess they they could tell that something was going crazy was going on, you know. Um, but they said that the the Bismarck when it was sinking, uh, they were all in the water, right? And just imagine like the thing was listing so bad that the, the the tower. Well, let me let me just back up just a hair. The Bismarck had giant cannons on it. It was a battleship, but it actually did have a little bit of a runway for uh, small planes. Uh, it had two or three small planes uh, that they could fit on it. And when the thing was, when, so back to when everybody was in the water, the thing was like listing so bad to the side that basically uh, one side was totally underwater and the, the deck was underwater. And they could see the whole other side and they were like, oh, there's not even that bad of a damage. They thought it was way more damaged than, than it actually was. Uh, and then the whole thing kind of sunk to the sunk to the bottom. So uh, the ship only really was involved in one major offensive and it was like, that was launched and it was alive less than a year. So it's similar to the Yamato, right? Yeah. Is it Yamato? Yamato. Yamato. Uh, in 1989, so also the 80s, the ship was located and explored. Uh, it was found in the water, right? And by submarines. And the ship was actually in remarkably intact uh, posi- condition. condition. It's laid out perfectly on the ocean floor and there's no hole, there's, the hole hasn't been crushed at all. So usually what will happen is you'll have air pockets within the compartments. So when the sink ships, uh, the weight of the water will crush uh, 
that the air filled compartment air filled compartments because you know there's a distant difference in pressure and so there was no hole crushing at all it, it looks like it's perfectly preserved along the bottom of the ocean and so they say well that's another reason why we believe it was actually truly scuttled uh and not you know sunk by the british is because uh you know they it was in great condition and also uh they flew like the submarine around it around it flew i guess you fly underwater right <laughs> <laughs> and the submarines didn't see any major uh torpedo damage along the along the sides like uh, the, it was below the water line uh, of where the ship would sit would be floating so they said well the people who looked at it said well it probably could have lasted for another day or two but eventually it would have sunk and maybe it could have made it to port or something yeah, I don't know. The rudder was busted. So oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. So they said it probably would have floated for another day or two, but then eventually sank, and it probably would have take, taken a day to, a day to sink. And they said probably know, would have saved more lives, though. Maybe, but who knows? Yeah. Then they said the guy said, "Well, the the researcher that found it, he said, doesn't matter. I guess who took the final blow, the British still were the ones that sank it." And so, uh, you know. Interesting story about how a, a mighty battleship, similar to the one you talked about, uh, just had a short a short life. Yeah, interesting. One battle. One battle is done. Wonder if it was worth it. Yeah. Well, and then lots of crew died. You know, two th- almost two thousand one hundred men, and the one you said almost what two thousand some. Yeah, it was the uh, crew was three thousand. I think you said. Yeah, three thousand three hundred and thirty-two. And only 276 died, so about the same ratio. Only 226 lived, you mean? Yeah, lived, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, only 276 lived. Can you imagine being in one of those compartments on those ships and the things going down? No. Or especially, <laughs> you, you probably would have been absolutely obliterated on the Yamato. Because, yeah, Yamata. Yamata. Yamato. Y-A-M-A-T-O. Yamato. Okay. Yamato. Yeah, so can you imagine, like, it hits that magazine. And it's oh, yeah, just boom, yeah. That'd be a pretty. That'd be a crazy sight to see. You're yeah. Like, oh yeah. Hit. And actually, know? I was watching this documentary about a guy who uh, he was on that ship, and he was it was it was maybe an older documentary from like the early two thousands. Uh-huh. Um, but he was just talking about how there was a couple guys that were on that ship and they were still alive. And the Japanese, those Japanese guys live forever. <laughs> <laughs> all that seafood. You yeah. Know? All of the healthy eating. I guess I don't yeah. know. Um, that's a crazy story. Yeah, the Bismarck's a cool story. Yeah. Um. So this next one that I have, it is really not a war vessel, but it was sank by a missile. So we'll go with that. So this is the story of Seawise Giant was the name of the ship. And this was the largest ship ever constructed in the world. This is the largest ship. Bigger than the Ark? That was ever constructed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was bigger than 52 cubits tall. <laughs> um, so this ship was uh, in, it was built in 1979 in Japan, actually. Okay. Uh, built in 1979, and it was, a, it's an oil tanker. It's an oil tanker ship. And so it was built at 1,000 Five hundred and four feet long, so almost two Bismarcks. Yeah, that's pretty Um, massive. And so, if uh, if you stood it on end, 
right? It would be 50 feet taller than the Empire State Building. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So, and it was it was the largest vessel that's ever been created that was uh, self-propelling, right? That had engines and motors and everything else. So... Uh, is there something else that has been created? That I don't know. Maybe like a <laughs> floating island or something, like a, <laughs> a, a the ice shelf or something. I have no idea. But it's just um, maybe they have had barges that were bigger. I have no idea. Uh, but uh, the the propeller on this had one propeller on this ship, and it made seventy five revolutions a minute. So just over one revolution a second. Hmm. Um, and the propeller itself was 30 feet in diameter. Wow. Just the one propeller. Well, he's got to be a strong dude. Yeah, so that thing's massive. Um, a couple other things is that it, uh, in order to stop, so at full speed, uh, I can't remember how fast it would go at full speed. I think it was like 20 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour or something like that. Um, but in order for it to come to a full stop, it took five and a half miles in oh, order to get it to geez. come to a full stop. Is that in full reverse? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. However, they, however they, they uh, make it come to a full stop. So, um, I mean, so if there's an iceberg ahead, you're just, you're just going to hit it. Hosed, man. You're going to paint that thing with oil. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the ship was uh, the Seawise the Giant. It was actually sunk. In 1988, during the Iran-Iraq War, it was providing oil uh, to kind of for like military efforts in that area in 1988, and an Iraqi uh, airplane uh, came and shot it with a missile and sank it. But it sank it in shallow water, and so it was like still like half sticking out of the water. It just kind of had like leaned over. Um, but it was, it wasn't usable anymore. Um, and there was a full of oil that spilled all out everywhere. No, it didn't. It didn't say it was, it says, um, it was shot with a missile after providing fuel for the war effort. Uh, but later it didn't say if it spilled oil everywhere. Um, I mean, it, it might have of, I know that there was actually, there was like four or five large tanks, like containers mm-hmm. that were, in the ship, and so you know, maybe it hit one, not the other ones, or whatever. But uh, it was actually later salvaged. They went out there and they salvaged the ship. They lifted it up and repaired it enough to where they could tow it, and they actually restored it into service. Hmm. Um, this was like like ten years later. Well, oh. maybe not that much. Maybe like five years later. Um, and so the vessel was actually converted and then to a floating storage facility off of the coast of um, uh, Qatar and so in the Persian Gulf. And so basically it was like, you know, a mile off the coast and it would just sit there and they just used it as a storage facility for oil. Oh, really? Um, that was until 2004. Um uh, that was in 2004, and it, it was off the coast for about five years. And then in 2009, it was sold to an Indian company that uh, beached it, and then they ended up breaking it up and selling it for scrap. They really? sold it, yeah. Wow. So kind of crazy. Uh, that's nuts, man. Yeah, it didn't have a like a super long life, but pretty eventful. I mean, yeah. it's a big ship too. 
That's a huge ship. So well, yeah. Well, we we went to Charleston just uh, a few weeks ago. We we kind of I text I message I posted about that on our Instagram channel. We went to the USS Yorktown, which is actually version two of the Yorktowns. The first one got sunk at the Battle of Midway. Yeah, aircraft carrier. And then, well, interesting, we took a, a ghost tour there, but which is really more just like a historic tour. But uh, the guy said that after it was sunk in the Battle of Mid Midway, uh, they renamed this new battleship Yorktown to mess with the Japanese's sense of suspicion, like superstition, superstition yeah. to think like, oh my gosh, this thing's back from the dead, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I think it was, was it, I think it was this Yorktown in 19, was it this Yorktown in 1945 that, um, was, it was in the Armada that, um, some of the planes that attacked the Yamato actually, uh, came from the, Yorktown, and so oh, they yeah. were they were instrumental in the sinking of the Yamato, which is said, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Um, and the thing with the Yamato was is it was like it was like the, the the flagship of the country, right? And it had been christened by the emperor, and they said that it was such a a kind of an ego blow to them when it got sank that it was it was almost like that was a turning point for them in the war, and they were just kind of like, you know, some people had said that it felt like they just kind of gave up, yeah, after that. Um, well, I, and, I guarantee you the soldiers on island hopping didn't say they gave up. And yeah. They fighting tooth and nail to the last man. Seriously. <laughs> well, uh, so the USS York- Yorktown. That's why they dropped the nuke because they wouldn't give up. <laughs> yeah, the, the USS Yorktown uh, is in is in Charleston on Patriots Point. And uh, it's eight. It's a it's a it's not a battleship. It's a it's an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. And it is eight hundred and eighty eight feet long. Um and it was really it was commissioned in in April of 1943. Uh, I think it was finished there close by after. Um, and it really was kind of it was utilized in wars and confrontations until right right up into Vietnam. After Vietnam, and and like after 75, they yeah. So parked after, it in Charleston Harbor, and uh, yep, yep. So it says. Um, after 1968, which is kind of the end ish of the Vietnam War, uh, it was used as a platform for several movies. Uh, it was in that the movie Tora 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 for the um, uh, the attack of Pearl Harbor. is a movie about the Pearl Harbor attack. Um, it was also used as a a recovery ship for the Apollo 8 space deployment. Uh, it was used there. It was also commissioned and conducted some missions. Uh, that were kind of with Operation Peacekeeper in the Atlantic. And then in 1974, the Naval Department approved the donation of the Yorktown to Patriot Point Development Authority in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, And it was towed there from New Jersey, and it was parked at Patriot's Point in 1975, and it's been sitting there ever ever since. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I, it's a cool it, shit. It, it's a cool shit. It's like a labyrinth in there, man. Yeah, we so, were we were there, and there was a bunch of Boy Scouts spend the night in there, and they had basically free roam of the entire ship all night if they wanted. Yeah, and I'm like, man, that'd be that actually be a really cool camp out. Yeah, it definitely would. Um, so w- Jared and I we went there and we did we did a ghost tour. So it was at night, and we got to go through the ship, and it wasn't really like a scary ghost tour, but it was kind of informational. But uh, they told us some different things about, you know, people or whatever. And, and w- one, one interesting story, whenever we were there, um, 
we were in the in uh, we were in sick bay, and Jared and I we were standing there, and we were kind of there's like all these sick bay uh, racks where people would sleep on uh, whenever they were in you know really re- really sick. These people that are really sick in the sick bay, and Jared and I were just standing there, we were kind of leaning against one of these racks, and the, this guy was telling a story about the first guy that ever died on the USS Yorktown. I can't remember what his name was, but he died and. And he goes, and the guy goes, and he died in that bunk right there. And it was the one that Jared and I were leaning against, and we were like, oh, okay. But yeah. then the, the the better part of the story was the guy says, you know, do you know what he died from? We were like, I don't know, maybe he fell overboard or he died during a war or a battle or something like that. And the guy said, no, he died from lice. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be leaning against <laughs> this bunk. But that was uh, 50, or 50 plus years, years ago. Yeah. So um, probably safe. And he said that he died from he died from lice. He had so he had lice so bad that he uh, was just scratching and itching so bad that he would just tear up his skin, got massive infections and died from infection and sepsis. And he was the first person that died on that ship. And and the, I guess the ghost tour part of it is he says that you know sometimes you can see uh, uh shadows in this room of a guy hiding in the corner and they think that it's that guy that died in there and it's just like you know it's funny yeah the little kid was like i just saw a shadow yeah, there, there was like cool yeah, there was like a there's like a 10 year old kid in there or something like that and he's like i just saw that shadow run across me and and, and the guy was like oh <laughs> yeah well he likes kids you know? yeah, so it's just like okay uh, yeah but it it was cool, and they had they actually did like a Ghost Hunters uh, episode on Discovery Channel or something like that on the ship, mm-hmm. and they did find some interesting stuff. I mean, it wasn't like you know demonic this and that, but it was just they they did find some weird things on sensors. They did some laser, uh, some some laser things where you could see looked like somebody was walking, but there was nobody actually there, and. Just some kind of cool stuff, but yeah, it was cool. It's just a little bit of the the history. It's it's cool to I I love. I don't know. I I've always been a massive fan of history, and just going and seeing something like that. I mean, that ship has been there. Well, number one, that ship's been in battle, and then it's been there as a museum since 1975. And yeah, they upkeep it and they maintain it and things like that. But uh, it's just really cool. I encourage you guys all over. I mean, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's much opportunity, like there's lots of, hi- I was going to say out West, there's a lot of history and stuff out West, but maybe not like, I think on the West coast, they do have battleships. You can go. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I don't know, but wherever you are, I would suggest go and see some of these Go to places. a military museum or. Yeah. Go to, I mean, the, at, at the, at this same, same place in Charleston, they had a, they called it the Vietnam experience yeah. and they had like a whole, I don't know, maybe several acres of 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 land that they had kind of built up to look like Vietnam and in in a, an American base in Vietnam and they had helicopters and planes and they had a, a tower with a mod deuce on the top of it you could go up there and and press the button and it would like fake shoot <laughs> 50 caliber rounds yeah. all over the place and it's just just really cool it's like stuff like that that I mean history is who we are and and, and it's it's why we are here today and I just love stories from history. They say when you get to be 30 years old, you have to make a choice. Either you start smoking meat or you learn about World War II history. <laughs> I think you've made your I choice. Think I, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've made our choice. Yeah. It's a more healthy option. <laughs> yeah. Either that or you become uh, anal obsessive about your lawn. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Well, yeah, I wish I had a nicer lawn, but 
Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, you can only, you I'd can rather, only I'd so rather, much. I'd rather learn about World War II history. Yeah. <laughs> and I do like smoked meat too. So. <laughs> yeah, I do, but I'll have uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars each month to spend on smoked meats. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been a great episode. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this. Lots of cool stories about old battleships uh, and some of the lessons we learned from history. So don't send your prize your prized stallion on a suicide mission against thing <laughs> against 15 other stallions with airplanes yeah or the bismarck was the prized stallion of the german that's fleet true. too that's true actually there was two well i've already explained it, but there was actually two uh ships that were like bismarck class sh- ships uh, but the bismarck was certainly one to remember yeah definitely so well, hey, at least the uss constitution lasted right yeah <laughs> Yes, old Ironsides herself, still still kicking. So, thanks all for joining, and uh, follow us on Instagram, and we'll we'll uh, post some pictures of these ships. Also, you can hear the uh, the Bismarck song. We'll post it on there, and uh, we'd love to have you follow us and recommend us to if you uh, want us to talk about anything on the podcast. We happy to, happy to do that. All right, let's build that creed together. Let's do it.